This is Honest Math Chat, and I'm Mona Eel of Mona Math. I'm a former math avoider turned math teacher cheerleader, and I'm going to get real honest with you about math classroom culture, engagement, math discussions, and all the student-centered instructional practices to help you empower your students to love and understand math deeply. So every Monday on Honest Math Chat, we're going to work together to make our classrooms places where students see themselves as mathematicians. But let's not wait. If you're ready to engage every learner and get them pumped about math, you've got to use math discussions. I welcome you to download the guide to engaging math discussions right now. Go to monamath.com slash discussions. You'll get all my best tips on how to guide on the side while getting every child meaningfully engaged in discussing their math thinking. Okay, on today's show, we are interviewing Katie Couples, who I've been fangirling over Katie's Instagram now for a long time. And every time I see her post, I'm like, yes, yes, that. So I'm super excited about our conversation today. So welcome, Katie. Yeah, thank you. I'm so excited (laughs) to be here and talk with you. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, tell us about yourself. Let's start there. All right, cool. Yeah, my name is Katie and I am a former second grade teacher and instructional specialist. I live in Washington state and I'm currently at home with my two kids. Um, as far as what I did in the school setting though, since it's different from what I do now, in my last job, I wore a lot of hats, but the main two parts were supporting K-5 teachers as an instructional coach and also coordinating our school's ELL program. But when I went on maternity leave in 2021, I think <laughs> I, I missed being connected <laughs> To education. So I started sharing resources and trainings online to support elementary teachers, just to kind of like be, like I said, be connected back to teaching and all that again. So my work online really is focused on helping teachers build compassionate classroom communities rooted in relationships, social, emotional learning, and positive behavior strategies. So yeah, that's what I'm doing now. I love it. And I feel like everything you share is so actionable. I feel like there was like a meme or some internet thing going around that's like, let's stop clickbait tips for teachers. And, you know, it's not just about building relationships, but you give these really tangible tips on like how to. So go follow Katie online (laughs) if you don't already. And Katie is with a C. We were just talking about this. So make sure you go check the show notes (laughs) so you can find Katie and follow all of her really great tips. But today we're going to talk about the merge of math and SEL. And Mm -hmm. so Talk to us about what your math classroom looked like when you were in the classroom or when you were supporting teachers. Yeah, totally. So like I said, I taught second grade for, I think, six or seven years. I always lose track, but um, it looks really different from the start of teaching to when I left the classroom, right, to become a coach. And honestly, it would look different now if I went back to teaching because, I mean, we're always learning. And I think I know a lot more now even than I did when I was in the classroom and when I was a coach. And I think too, my districts were always really focused on literacy PD. I don't think I'm alone in that. (laughs) So I don't feel like I got a lot of support with math until we got a new curriculum, which actually happened the year I moved to coaching. So there were at that time, you know, there's a ton of PD and there was a big push with the new curriculum for like community and norms and discussion, which I loved, like seeing it all in action. I was like, yes, like this is what math is supposed to be like. And I wish that I had had those tools when I was in the classroom teaching math myself because community and SEL, all that stuff's like totally always in my jam. So like I was really working hard to 
focus on growth mindset and collaboration, all that good SEL stuff, like having kids grapple with those complex ideas, articulate their thinking, like persevere through tricky problems. You know, we were having math talks and number talks, group work. But like I said, I know that if I went back now, I would do an even better job facilitating that math learning environment. And part of that is from learning from you too. It's just like like all these things now being part of like this online world, it's opening me up beyond just like what the PD was in my district. And it's like, yes, this is the stuff that needs to be happening. A hundred percent. People, I feel like could get professional development hours from like the time they spend scrolling on Instagram, Mm -hmm. you know, just on the internet learning and soaking it in. And you are speaking exactly to what I feel like is one of the biggest problems in schools, which is the lack of professional development. And Mm -hmm. often our math professional development has to do with our curriculum. And Mm -hmm. it's not relevant to like teachers' real goals, right? Do you have a vision for what math is like in your classroom? Yeah, totally. When I think about what math can look like in a classroom and what I mean I strove for as a teacher and what I think I could get closer to approximating now and in real life is like that dream that every student feels like a mathematician and feels good at math. And knowing that being good at math is more than just about automaticity and fluency and getting your answers right. Like I want to see my students getting comfortable with the struggle and feeling confident to be risk takers and making or taking those risks in front of their classmates because you're never taking risks independently in isolation in a classroom, right? It's happening not totally on a stage, but kind of on a stage, like in front of your your partner, you're you're sharing answers to the whole class. And I want students to feel confident with those risks and be okay if they get an answer wrong, like know what to do, what it means when it happens, like it's okay to make mistakes. We all do. I'd really want it to be a place where students are eager to learn and comfortable, like I said, taking those risks, but being supportive of their peers too. Like a classmate makes a mistake or, you know, they take a risk. Like, what does that look like to encourage them? And just, I don't know, really be a place where all students feel valued and confident and successful. I think that's the vision, right? (laughs) Absolutely. And I think that is just like so perfectly said and really this idea of like taking risks as the Mm -hmm. reason why we need to have that safe community. Because so much of math is taking risks, whether Mm -hmm. it's problem solving or it's a social risk, you have to take risks in order to do math. And so creating that kind of atmosphere where kids are Mm -hmm. bought in to the fact of like risk taking. Yeah. And that goes back to relationships. I mean, like I'm always preaching about how like preaching is not the right word, but you know, I'm always talking (laughs) about how um, important it is to have these relationships to make that vulnerability, like make it accessible and doable for kids. Because I mean, think about yourself as a teacher or as an adult, like, are you going to go in and be vulnerable and take risks if you don't know or trust the people that you're in a room with? Like, no, you're not going to do that. And so thinking about how you as a teacher are building relationships with your kids, but also how the kids are building relationships with each other those have to be there and it has to be a priority so that our kids feel comfortable to be vulnerable. And if they are, if we're not putting the time and effort into creating that environment, like we can't ask our kids to be vulnerable. We can't ask them to take risks. We just, it's not fair to them. A hundred percent. And that idea of like, you can build relationships during morning meeting or at recess Mm -hmm. and all and getting to know kids, but it really becomes valuable when it's within the content area. When I'm strategically thinking about what does my math relationship look like with this student, Mm -hmm. knowing that student as a mathematician so that Mm -hmm. I can support them in developing their understanding because Mm -hmm. I know where they feel confident and where they don't. That's also part of building a relationship. Totally. Yeah, I love that. Okay, so we've talked about offline, we've talked about math (laughs) status. So can you fill everybody in on like what that means to you? Yeah, so 
I didn't know about this term or I never heard it when I was in the classroom. I learned about it in a book called Smarter Together. Um, and it's really, I mean, mass status is what gets in the way of that vision, right? Of creating that true community of students who are really confident mathematicians. Like I said, I didn't know about it until I was a coach. And looking back, it's like, oh, yep, math status was totally at play in my classroom as a teacher. And I've seen it at play in many, many classrooms as a coach. So the definition they give in that book, um, Smarter Together, is that math status is an agreed upon social ranking where everyone would rather have and benefit from a higher ranking, which is kind of like a weird definition. But let me kind of just like dig into what that really means. So I mean, if you've ever had like a handful of students who are really the only ones making real progress, or you have students, only some of them who really want to share answers out or other ones who don't want to share because they're afraid of being wrong, or, you know, the same students are always the ones raising their hand and confidently giving the responses to the teacher, you probably have some math status at play in your classroom. And I mean, all those are true for me in my classroom. And if you have a positive math status, what that really means is that your peers listen to you, they respect you, they value your ideas, your peers think you are good at math, right? You are confident and you are comfortable sharing your ideas and you're, you feel good about your skills. If it'd be helpful, I can give a couple examples because I think that that's, yeah, that's where really it comes to life. So like, I remember seeing this um, in a classroom. So let's say Victor. Victor is sitting with his classmates on the carpet and the teacher asks a question the kids are solving. Victor raises his hand confidently. He gets called on. He shares an incorrect answer with the class. Everybody puts their hands down and starts doing their like agree hand signal with Victor because they think Victor has the answers. So they've checked out of the conversation. They're no longer grappling, thinking critically. They're just like, yep. Victor answered as he always does. And he got the answer right, but it's the wrong answer. So like, you know, Victor's not learning. The other kids aren't learning. Like it's getting in the way of not only what that vision for what math could look like, but it's getting in the way of everybody's learning. So I yeah, feel like Victor that's has high math status. <laughs> that's so relatable. Like so relatable. I feel like teachers are always saying, oh, I have like the same five kids raising their hands, but you're talking about what happens after like, okay, yeah, those right. same five kids. I call them somebody. And then everybody's like, yep, that one. Like, I remember in my classroom having a few kids like this. They would say, oh, just let just let Georgette do it. Call on Georgette. Georgette's always got the right answer, right? Like, kind of like even just deferring to them. Yeah. Or if we're stuck on something in a math discussion, kids' eyes kind of just go to that person. Like, right. oh, so what are you going to say about this? Like, you probably exactly. got it. Yeah. So, I mean, like, you can think about those because of the high status. And then on the other side of that, like, the low status students. and. So for example, like if kids are working in a small group, they're all trying to solve a problem that's been given to them by the teacher. They're trying to come up with a way to solve. And let's say there's a student, I don't know, Elise, and she's trying to share her ideas that would help the group. She's like nudging them, like, this is the wrong path to take, or like, let's try this, but they are ignoring her or dismissing her ideas. And so she eventually stops trying to tell her group her ideas. And later in the next day or the next group work activity, like she doesn't even try, right? Elise has low math status. And it's another example of like, Elise isn't learning and her group isn't learning because they are missing out on hearing her ideas because they've, for some reason, identified her as not being good at math. Yeah. Super relatable. So what do you do about it? <laughs> well, I think the first thing to think about is like, where it's coming from. And I, I get asked this too, like, well, where does math status even come from? If this is something like, I work so hard to create this community in this environment where all kids are confident learners, like how is this happening in my classroom? But I think it's important to remember that our students are coming to us with, you know, a whole like 
luggage set full of school experiences that they've already had. They're already telling themselves a story about who they are as a learner and a student, and they're bringing all of that with them into your math class. And we need, like you said, we need to know them as a student and build that math relationship with them to understand what math mindset they're coming to us with. So there's that, but there's also like students they're always watching us, right? They're watching us talking to the other kids in our class. They're interpreting and assigning meaning to everything we're saying and doing, you know, our redirections, our praise, like who we're calling on. They're noticing those things and they are assigning meaning to it. So that's another place that this comes from. It also can come from just like students' social skills and personality traits. Like I think sometimes kids who are more outgoing and confident tend to have higher math status, but it's not always the case. Like I've had students who are really outgoing and confident on the outside and they were always participating and helping others. But on the inside, that's not the story, you know, they're telling themselves. And I think it can also come from things like race and ethnicity, home language, socioeconomic status, disability, like not that at all those things create good or bad math skills, but instead it's what kids are assigning meaning to. Like if they're hearing certain things or they're interpreting certain things about different people and what that means for them as learners, they're creating their worldview around that, right? And they're bringing that with them to math. So as far as like what we can do about it, I think there are four main things. So the first thing I think you said was identifying it, right? So like, let's start there it's important to really try to get that clear picture of what's going on in your classroom. Because as teachers, we're doing a million things a minute, you know, thinking about the Victor story, right? Like that teacher may or may not have noticed that that happened because, you know, you're checking the clock, you're dealing with behavior, you're checking what the next question in your lesson plan is. Like you're not stopping to notice those things or with the group work, maybe you're working with another group and you didn't hear that Elise was being ignored. You can't be everywhere. So I highly, highly, and this is the coach and me, recommend getting help, having someone come in and listen with you and take notes, like take notes of what kids are saying, like verbatim, if you can just like write it down and tally who's participating, who's not like how many times are kids raising their hands? What is their reaction when they get the answer wrong? What's happening in that group work, right? Like just really try to get a clear picture of what's happening so that you have that data and then you can reflect on it, right? You know, which kids participating, which aren't, who are, who's hesitant to share, which are reluctant to do the work, who's confidently sharing their answers. And that's going to give you an idea of who has status issues and who has high status. And knowing your students better, right? And I actually was thinking about, because you were saying they watch us so much. What mm-hmm. a great opportunity for you to model for them how you get feedback too. Mm-hmm. Totally. And I think then the second thing we want to do is start to redefine, if you haven't already, like what it means to be smart in math, right? I think traditionally it's like you can do the work fast, you're automatic with it, you can do the algorithm, you get the answer right a lot, but that's not, I mean, sure, those things are good, but like that's not all that it is, right? Like we also want our students to know that being good at math means you can organize and plan, that you participate a lot, that you can justify your work, that you ask good questions, that you know how to help other people, not just tell them the answer, right? That you know how to teach or explain things, that you can persevere, that you're thorough. Like as a teacher, we want to be noticing and naming these behaviors and also modeling them for kids, right? Like you were saying. So I think that's the second step is having that big mindset shift. If you haven't already internalized that for yourself, like start there and then like bring that to your class and start trying to bring that to life with your kids. Yes. Which is one of the big reasons why I think knowing your math vision and then Mm -hmm. knowing your, your and your students' math stories, kind of what you were talking about, like that luggage that they're bringing with you, (laughs) unpacking that, having time in your class where like you unpack that and then using all of that data 
to form your next steps because what it looks like to be smart in math can and will be similar each year, Mm -hmm. but you can tailor that in your lessons and your conversations to that data you gathered about your students. So if you notice a lot of kids aren't participating, then that's something that we're going to really hit heavy in our, you know, morning meetings or our math meetings or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's just so smart of like getting all this data first and then making those informed decisions. Yeah, totally. Because yeah, you don't know what what you don't know. And sometimes you just don't know because you can't see it because you're busy. Like, just let's get the data. And then like you said, start to work from there. And I think that's, it's like the mindset. I think that's kind of step three is just like bringing that mindset shift to life with your, as the teacher, your language and your actions, like thinking what shifts can I make as the teacher? Like whether it's my language or how I'm interacting and what I'm praising or how I'm praising, right? And then extending that to your students. Like you said, knowing their story, knowing their mindset to help them to shift so that we can elevate those low math status students. We want everyone to have high status, right? That's what we want. Everyone to have what we're defining as that high status. And so thinking on how you can facilitate that. And I think then it's going into like kind of stage four is just like really continually focusing on that community building. So some like tangible things to do is like, Shout outs, having students be the ones who are noticing and naming these behaviors, these new ways to be smart in math. And a simple way to do that too. um, I always like using the scout strategy, which is from GLAAD, where students are chosen randomly to get to both participate in the lesson and listen and learn. But then they're also getting the opportunity to recognize or nominate someone at the end of the lesson or an activity because they were following the norms or they were showing, you know, whatever SEL skill you're working on or focusing on that week they get to notice and name and shout those kids out so that your norms are not just for the whole class, but having math specific norms so that you're be able to focus on these new math smarts. And something I never did, but I love the idea is, you know, when you have group roles, right, you have like you're working in a group and you've got your reporter, or your director, or whatever else. If you could also have like an encourager in your group role and that person's whole job is to like encourage their classmates and bring people in and compliment and make sure that everybody feels like they are doing a good job and and helping to remind them of how they're doing a good job. I think that'd be really cool. I love that. I'm using that. That's that's (laughs) on my lesson plans for next week. I love that so much. One of the things that I've always done is like at the beginning of the year, you know, when you're trying to teach everybody how to actively listen again. And so I'll always say, all right, I want you to find our best active listener during our math discussion. Mm-hmm. Or you're, you know, you're watching out yeah. for that best active listener, but extending that to say, I want you to watch for like whoever mm-hmm. perseveres the best or something yeah. like in math today. I talk about norms all the time to the point where I think people are going to be like, stop talking about <laughs> norms, but it's literally everything. Yeah, it is. When you can look back or look up to the wall and be like, hey, remember this is a slow math zone here. That's our norm. Mm-hmm. It's normal to be slow in here. It's yeah. actually expected. And yeah. so I just think that you can solve so many problems when you have the, that common language around your norms. Totally. I mean, it goes back to the culture that you're trying to create. And I think there's a quote from like a definition of what quote is. I think it's from Seth Godin. And he says that culture, and I think he's talking about like workplaces mostly, but like, I think it totally applies to classrooms that culture is like being able to say that people like us do things like this we are the people and like, that's kind of that collective community feel. And we do things like this. It's just like how we do things in this classroom. And I love that. Yeah. And when you were talking about teacher moves, like when you commit to just being like, math's the best time of the day, 
You know, Mm -hmm. like even if you don't yet believe it, because Mm -hmm. a lot of people that teach elementary school don't yet love math. It's not yet their favorite time of day. I experimented with this last year because I was new at a school. And so the kids didn't really know that I was all in on math. And (laughs) I just started saying to them, all right, we're going in from recess to the best time of day. Let's go. Math's the best (laughs) time of the day. And then like two weeks later, everyone was like, yeah, math, best time of the day. And I was like, yeah. oh my gosh, it works, right? Like totally. when you just shift your mindset or your language, this is us and this is what we do, right? Like, I love it. Yeah, we did the same thing like with, if it was, you know, a day we were taking a test or whatever. It was like, yes, it's the day. Today's the day, everybody cheer. And they'd be like, why? Like, it's the day we get to do our assessment. You've been waiting for this. It's your chance to show us what you've learned, everything you know, what an opportunity for you. And they're like, Okay. And like they do, they start <laughs> yeah. to internalize it. Yeah. Like at first I think you're a little bit wild uh-huh. and like what's going on, but then they're like, yeah, this is an opportunity. And just when we have that chance to reframe for them, it, it makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that is what building a community is, is when you decide mm-hmm. on what we're all about and then mm-hmm. you, you incorporate that into your language and the moves you make, right? I want to talk about math status in one other way, which is a student of mine from last year who had really high math status, but people didn't know because he had behavior problems and he had struggled in reading. And so he had kind of assigned himself, you know, that story he was telling himself is Mm -hmm. that he wasn't good at school. And as I got to know him, I noticed right away, like brilliant math brain. And a lot of what I was doing with him was trying to boost his math status so that Mm -hmm. he could have more confidence. And it was really interesting because by the end of the year, kids were looking to him, right, Mm -hmm. with his high math status, but it trickled down into everything else. So he was a more confident reader because people Mm -hmm. were noticing him. You know, they were looking to him for something. So it mm-hmm. gave him this confidence that he could then spread across to the like his whole day, his whole approach yeah. to school. So I feel like we've shared some examples of math status and having a hierarchy as being maybe a negative thing. But mm-hmm. when students see themselves and they start to mm-hmm. build that identity as I am a mathematician, I am good yeah. at this, that can really be powerful in transforming math identity and just identity as a learner. Yeah. And like, think about how that'll affect that student's whole educational career, right? When they start to adopt that on mind, their mindset that way and how that will trickle into every experience they have when they leave the classroom. Hopefully, you know, it continues in that way, but just thinking about the effect that can have is just kind of mind blowing. Right. And and even that kid's mom was like, this is the best year ever. Like he has had the mm-hmm. best year. And I'm like, he did it all right. This is all yeah. him because it all was just me seeing, oh, he can do this. So if he can do this, he can do that. And he can do that. And he Mm -hmm. started to see that. And the other kids started to see it too. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the power. So really just being mindful of what the status is and how you can make it work for you in a positive way. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. What does social emotional learning look like in math? I feel like we've been kind of talking around it, but like, let's Mm -hmm. just explicitly say what you kind of think that looks like. Yeah. I mean, you kind of mentioned this earlier, but it's literally like, it's in everywhere. It's in everything we do. And I think we, if we think about, you know, the KSOL five core competencies, which are self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, which is like empathy, relationship skills, and responsible decision-making, 
I mean, it's pretty clear, like it's embedded in all the work we're doing with our students all day long. And I mean, and just some examples, as far as like math goes, thinking about like self-management, so like practicing, focusing your attention, managing stress and anxiety. Like if a student is worried about an, a test or whatever else, or even just about doing the work, working towards goals, like all of those are SEL things for social awareness, like how a student, like what their role is and how they contribute to the classroom community or the classroom culture, like respecting their classmates and their teacher and like just really digging into like, what does that really look like and sound like and feel like empathy and perspective taking, like that's all SEL stuff. And just even relationship skills, like communicating, collaborating, seeking and offering help. Like those are all SEL skills. You know, it's all of the other things that contribute to your success as a mathematician, like your perseverance, your risk-taking, your relationships, your positive attitude, like it's all of that stuff. So it's like, we got to, we got to do it. <laughs> yeah. It's 100% the teaching. Like I mm-hmm. feel that way strongly. If kids can learn to add, subtract, multiply, and divide, cool. But a computer and a calculator can do that. But if they learn the SEL stuff mm-hmm. as well as the math, then they will be truly mathematicians. Yeah. Totally. It's the most important thing. Right. But that's overwhelming, I feel like, to a teacher of like, Mm -hmm. okay, wait, (laughs) you just said all these things plus more. (laughs) Like, what does that look like inside of a classroom? How do you merge the SEL and the math or the any of the teaching really? Yeah, I mean, I think like the easiest place to start. So I love this quote from Dr. Patricia Jennings. She says that social emotional learning is one learning domain. It's the one learning domain where adults are not only responsible for teaching the lesson, but being the lesson, right? So if we want to think about like, where do I start? Start with yourself, right? Start with modeling the skills we want our students to learn, like show them what self-regulation looks like. Show them what a growth mindset looks like. Show them what kindness and empathy and compassion looks like. And like what they look like in action, right? Like model these things for our kids just in the everyday things that you're doing. And it's like a simple answer. It's not easy. It's it's actually really tough. And we're going to make mistakes when we do it. But like, honestly, like when we do make mistakes, we just model how to make it right too. Like it's just, it's all of that. So I feel like it's a simple answer, but it's not an easy answer. But I think that's the place to start. If you're like, what do I do? start there. Start with you. 100%. Don't think that kids are just going to like pick up on it. Be Mm -hmm. explicit in like thinking aloud. Right now I'm confused and that Mm -hmm. feels bad for me. And I want to kind of like give up and crinkle up my paper, Mm -hmm. but I know I got to work through this. So I'm going to take a couple deep breaths and look out the window Mm -hmm. for a second. Thinking aloud for kids really then makes that modeling Mm -hmm. intentional. Yeah. And I think the next step there, if you want to go like, okay, so I did me and I'm modeling, I'm thinking I'm like, you know, doing the metacognition stuff. Like, what do I do next? You can bring in role play, like that kind of stuff. So like, if you, you're focusing on a particular SEL skill or, you know, competency area, like bring in that role play aspect where kids are trying different things out. You're giving them scripts or scenarios, and they are the ones now that are are going through that process. So that's, that's another easy, sorry, not easy, simple, but not easy step to take towards bringing this to life in your classroom. Yes. And I think just choosing one skill to practice Mm -hmm. or work on. And so if you're doing self-management or self-awareness, that those are huge things. So Mm -hmm. looking inside of those and just choosing one. I'll link it in the show notes, but there's a document from Castle or Castle. How do you say it? I don't know. Yeah, I always uh, say Castle, but I could be saying it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to say it either. C-A-S-E-L. They have a document that pairs their five descriptors of SEL learning along with the standards for mathematical practice. So they're showing mm-hmm. like how those combine. 
So mm-hmm. I'll link that in the show notes. It's not an easy read. It's like real thick and all the things, but it's just great when we can find ways to like make this stuff kind of double count, right? We're all mm-hmm. trying to do the same thing. We're all talking about the same thing. We all call it different things. So let's just like try to find the way to make it all happen and yeah, get the totally. most bang for your buck kind of thing. Okay. Well, this has been so great. I'm just going to recap here because I've been jotting all these notes while you've been talking, <laughs> Katie. So we talked a lot about like math identity, maybe calling it math status and who we are as mathematicians. And that comes with our mindset that comes from like outside our school, outside of us. And all of that forms into who we think we are. And then that also forms like how we see other people in their math identity. So just being aware of that as a teacher and getting some information about who students believe that they are, and then more information on like how they behave in the classroom can really help you start to like make some plans for like rewriting that identity Mm -hmm. to be a positive one. I think that the tips in this episode are really actionable because you can do it right now while listening to this. You can start to think about what is it that you can do or say or model today for just you. And it doesn't require any extra lesson planning or Mm -hmm. gathering of things or copying or laminating. Or There's nothing cute about this. It's just about modeling for students how to be a thinker, how to be a problem solver. And so this episode is really exciting because you can take action on this right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm over here nodding my head like over and over again. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Love it. All right. Well, Katie, thank you so much for hanging out on the podcast today and giving us all these great insights into kind of this merge between SEL and math. And it's just a natural fit. So I'm yeah. so excited that you were here. Yeah, totally. Thank you so much for having me. It's been so fun to talk to you about this. Well, that was your dose of Honest Math Chat for today, friend. Thanks so much for listening. It would mean so much to me if you subscribed, shared this podcast with your friend, or leave a comment. (laughs) If you have not downloaded my free guide that I made in response to the questions you have all about engaging your students in math discussions, go grab it, monamath.com slash discussions. And if you have other questions that I haven't answered, shoot me a DM on Instagram at hellomonamath. I can't wait to chat more with you next week. Remember, we're here every Monday. I'm always listening on my way to work. When do you listen? See you soon, friends.